You are listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Welcome back to the show. Um, I've been getting a bunch of new followers lately, which has been fantastic. It's really cool to see how this podcast is starting to spread um, and uh, see how you guys are responding to the new episodes. Um, The recent one that we did with uh, cinematographer Jeremy Benning was the fastest downloaded episode that we've had yet. Uh, You guys are really excited about that one. And uh, I really appreciate the word of mouth. I appreciate you guys sort of spreading it around. Uh, And it's the only way I can keep doing this show uh, is if I can prove to my sponsors that you guys are listening. Uh, Because then the sponsors will help cover the tab. Uh, I don't have to ask you guys for money. I keep the show free. Uh, It helps me pay for a little bit of rent. Uh, All good things. So I just wanted to say I really love it when you guys show how much you like the show. Um, And please follow me on Instagram. Uh, You can follow the actual podcast Instagram page. It's in love with the process POD. That's in love with the process pod on Instagram. And you can also follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram. Uh, Both those places are good places to reach me about the show. If you've got questions about the show, if you want to talk, about uh, the industry and the business. If you got some questions in general, I try to get back to everybody. Sometimes it takes a little while because uh, I am a working director at the same time as I do this podcast. So if I disappear off the grid for a week at a time, uh, it's usually because I got hired to do a project. And for those of you who have directed before for clients, you realize that as soon as they hire you, they own you. <laughs> That's pretty much the game. Um, so, but I've been doing some fun stuff on Instagram last, uh, week or I, I, let me say this first. I've been putting episodes out in different order, uh, because I want to sort of mix up what I'm delivering to you guys. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes you'll see, uh, an episode number come out before the one that's supposed to come out. So like maybe I'll release 35 when I'm supposed to release 34. I do that specifically because I'm trying to mix up what uh, the episodes are, what the vibe is for the show. I don't want to hit you guys up with like two or three back-to-back cinematographers. I like to sort of mix it up, make it interesting. Um, And maybe it's just my managerial issues. I'm an asshole. I I label things as I do them. Uh, So I'm just making it very confusing. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, when an episode goes up, you'll know. This one may be put out of order. I've got two in the can right now, uh, and I guess I'll talk about them. If you guys haven't heard them yet, I have one with uh, Brenda Welsh, who is an amazing makeup artist, Um, and I just did one with, um, oh my God, who was the other person? My brain just fucking shut down. Um, Oh, my assistant director. So there's there's two really great episodes that if you haven't heard them yet, they're on the way. But like I said, I wanna mix things up. And today I wanted to sit down, I was feeling inspired to sit down and and bang out a podcast on my own uh, because there's a lot of cool things to talk about. Um, I just got off of a, I don't know, what was it, 13 hour day or 12 hour day shoot yesterday on a big commercial, which was really cool. I was hired four days ago, three days ago uh, to direct a national spot for Sam Adams, which was cool. 
uh, fast turnaround, uh, really fun production. I was working uh, with uh, Eric over at Wanderlust, who's the producer, good friend of mine. Known him for years, um, and he's uh, he knows how to hustle. He really, really hustled this gig, got me on this job, convinced them that I was the director. Uh, so I appreciate that. I always appreciate it when people promote and push and uh, create the opportunity to create really good work. Uh, so if my voice is a little raspy, it's because I spent all day sort of yelling out commands. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's cool. And then I have a new commercial project uh, for um, my good buddy uh, who owns the company, uh, Dalstrong Knives. So he makes the knives. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen my, my prior work. If you haven't yet, go to MikePetchy.com and you can check out a bunch of the commercials that I've done and short films that I've done. Um, but there you'll see uh, two projects that I've done for uh, Dalstrong in the past. I did a project called Chef's Night Out or Chef's Night Off. Um, starring uh, Paul DeRochers, who's a chef. Uh, he's Polly Cooks on Instagram. Uh, we did this really cool piece about, uh, it's like a very cinematic short film kind of piece on what a chef's night off looks like, what he does at home. And then uh, I did a film with him before that called The Art of Plating, which uh, really goes deep. It's sort of a doc piece uh, that goes deep into how Polly is obsessed with plating. Uh, he's a uh, He's an artist when it comes to spreading food on a bare plate. He does really, really great stuff. So those two pieces I had done over the past couple of years. And this year, um, I talked to uh, my buddy Dave over at Dalstrong, and he was like, we got to do something new, uh, and came up with this really cool new piece. Um, I guess I'd title it uh, Some People Settle, I think is the, t is the title of it. Um, it's this really cool new ad campaign that is action-packed, uh, very beautifully shot by David Cruda. Um, it it ended up becoming, it ended up feeling like an action film, um, which I thought was great. And we follow around his, David Cruda's brother, Phil Cruda, uh, who is a, an amazing chef. He owns a restaurant here in uh, Boston called Brassica. And this guy makes like James Beard level food. Like the stuff is phenomenal. Um, but he's also an amazing woodworker. Um, and uh, I liked the parallels between the same guy using his hands um, for food uh, was also using those same hands to uh, create like cutting boards and different uh, uh, wood shop stuff. And uh, I thought that was a really cool fucking parallel. Uh, and I wanted to create a piece that showcased that. And I think one of the things that I love to do, especially when it comes to short form work, I love obsessions. I love people that are obsessed with something. Um, artists are usually, good artists are usually completely involved with what it is that they love to do and how it changes their life, how it affects their body. Um, those things are always exciting to me. Uh, and visually, uh, if you see someone that is obsessed with doing physical tasks, that is a cool thing to watch. That's a cool thing to film. Uh, it's a really fun way to string together a narrative. Um, and that was kind of the purpose with these new pieces. Uh, they should be out soon. I can't wait till they get released. Um, I think they have some sort of media buy. They'll end up uh, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, that kind of stuff. So they'll be kicking around. Um, and the Sam Adams piece is a broadcast spot. So that should be on TV. Uh, I don't know the specifics yet, so 
Like I said, just got put in the can yesterday. They still have to edit it, but um, I figured that today's episode would be cool. It would be a cool episode to sort of talk about uh, working on commercials, directing commercials, and the difference between uh, broadcast ads, internet ads, spec ads. I thought it would be a really fun thing to talk about. Um, So if you are excited to just hang out with me today, you want to listen to this sexy voice rasp its way through (laughs) an hour, then I highly suggest that you find uh, something good to eat. Uh, After a night of drinking, what am I going to eat today? Uh, My my go-to is always sausages. So make yourself a couple of really good homemade sausages if if you've got the skills. But if not, find yourself your favorite set of sausages. (laughs) Uh, Boil them up. Uh, Pour yourself a nice German lager. Uh, Maybe you're a sauerkraut person. Uh, I'm definitely a mustard person. Uh, Make yourself a plate. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back. Chew your way through the new episode of In Love With The Process. get into the commercial stuff i'm really excited about a lot of new movies coming out and it's getting to that point in that time of year where we're pushing towards like may where we start to get the summer blockbuster stuff and yes the comic book movies are coming out and the big tentpole movies are coming out which will be fun to watch like the new avengers movie i'm into yeah i'm into it just because the last one the stakes were really high um, it got really dramatic, really dark, and then uh, the new one feels like it's it's the same, which I like. So I'm into that. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I am fucking obsessed with Godzilla, and I am so excited about the uh, King of the Monsters movie that's coming out. Uh, I think it looks gorgeous. I love, love the colors in it. I love the treatment. I love the cinematography. Uh, the visual effects are fantastic. The scale, the scope, at least from the trailer, uh, is amazing. Uh, I, I, I'm just over the whole don't see the monster from the perspective of someone on the street. You know, they did it in Transformers and they did it in all that stuff. I get it. You know, you have to humanize your main characters. They have to be relatable. All those fucking notes that we get from studios, production companies, and our movies, I get it. But the reason why I like Godzilla from Toho is at the end of the day, it's two giant monsters that are just destroying a city and fighting each other. Uh, And the personality of each of these creatures, the soundscape of those old movies, uh, sure, it's a bunch of dudes running around in rubber suits, but they knew that because of the restrictions in movement, that they should really hammer home the sounds, and the creatures are fucking roaring all the time. Uh, they all, the both, all of them have their own personality. And the thing that's really cool about the new one, the King of the Monsters, and I'm gonna get nerdy, so deal with it, um, is that they're bringing in other Toho creatures. So other Toho properties are coming into it. Uh, Mothra's cool. Uh, Rodan was always cool. I don't know if you guys saw the original Rodan, um, part of the I think it was the '60s like 60s, early 70s 
Toho run for, for monster stuff. And the original is fucking fantastic. Um, and then um, Kigodoro, so Monster Zero, if you're a total Godzilla nerd, uh, is in it, um, as well as Godzilla. And I like the new character designs for him. Um, I like the fins and all that stuff. So being a super nerd, there's a lot of really good stuff. And then the the notion that the trailer sort of gives off is that there's more monster stuff, there's more fighting, there's more scale, there's more scope. Um, and that's what I want. Uh, so fingers fucking crossed, right? And uh, let's see what else is coming on. Just saw the new trailer for the new John Wick movie. I love the John Wick movies. Um, and I think I'm talking about these back-to-back because of the cinematography. And I think that this really beautiful, high-contrast color stuff um, that you know I like, like if you've seen my Bose Better Sound Session stuff, if you've seen 12KM, if you've seen that stuff, you know that I like working with color. Um, and uh, these guys seem to do the same. Uh, I feel like John Wick is the closest thing to a comic book movie as far as colors go. Uh, it really feels like a graphic novel, uh, which I think is awesome. And the action's fucking killer, and, and uh, Keanu Reeves is amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, what was the other thing? The new Tarantino movie? Fuck yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I saw the trailer this morning. Uh, I have been missing a lot of the big stars lately. You know, I've been missing Brad Pitt, and I've been missing Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and to see them on screen, to see their... There's this bravado that they have that I love. Um and I miss in movies. Uh, so I cannot wait for this movie. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it looks really gorgeous. And it was kind of interesting to see, uh, in the trailer at least, 19, I think it's 70s, 1970s uh, LA, which was cool. It looks awesome. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's definitely online. Check it out. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is out. Uh, the trailer for it is out. And then um, what was the other big... There's another big movie that I'm pumped about. I don't know. But the other thing I watched this week... Let me let me just say, I've, I've been feeling a little down with most movies lately. And I've been feeling kind of down with a lot of the content that Netflix is putting out. Because it just generally feels safe. It feels like everything has been algorithmed out. And they're just sort of judging, like, you know, what our audiences want to see. Let's give them a new version or a watered-down version of that, whether it's comic book movies or whether it's, you know, whatever the algorithm uh, results are that Netflix judges. It's like, oh, people like, you know, serial killer fucking shows. So let's develop more serial killer documentaries. And now we're in this whole serial killer porn thing that's happening. And then we're in this pulling down our heroes porn thing that's happening where it's people like to look at other people's lives being shitty uh, so that they don't have to acknowledge how crappy their fucking life is. And I get it. It's cool. It's escapism. It's entertainment, I suppose. Um, but it's, if, to me, it doesn't feel, I don't know. It doesn't feel like escapism to me. Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, I really like to make movies to escape, I like to make movies that are adventure-filled. They're fun to watch. Um, and whether you're getting scared or whether you're excited, 
uh, it's just, this, it's a great excuse to put down your fucking phone, uh, to get off your fucking Twitter feed and uh, get off Instagram and sort of go into a great story, go into someone else's perspective. And to me, that's what filmmaking is. It's about perspective. You know, you're, you, someone is telling you a story and that's what you're there to listen to or see or watch. Um, and I get it. Maybe that person that is giving you that perspective, you don't identify with. Maybe that person um, has different visions and values than you do. Okay, totally understand that stuff. But there is something more interesting about getting a single perspective on something than it is getting like a fucking boardroom's perspective on something. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that we've been ingesting uh, kind of feels like a McDonald's cheeseburger. Like I'd rather go to a barbecue and have someone make me a fucking cheeseburger than go to fucking McDonald's. You know what I mean? Because at least then someone, like, where did they learn to make the cheeseburger? Was it something passed down to their family? Was it something that they just worked really hard to create on their own? What is their flavor profile? All that kind of stuff. Like, how do they present it? Like, what's it like hanging out with this person? All those things are interesting to me. And those are things that sort of disappear when you go into fucking McDonald's and you stand in line and you pick a fucking number. They even put it down to the point where it was too hard for people to decide, like actually verbalize, I'd like a cheeseburger, french fries, and a shake. Now they're like, we'll make it easier for you. I'd take a number fucking two or whatever the fuck it is. <sighs> I'm ranting. Uh, but I feel like that has sort of trickled its way into movies and television. And I think a big portion of that, being just a fucking fan like the rest of you, and being someone that kind of knows a little bit about the business, but not enough to be a pro. I, I just feel like at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that big corporations that are publicly traded are now making the decisions. And so that means that one person can't have that voice. One person can't have approval. One person doesn't do these things. So is it good? Sure. There's a lot of great things that come out of that. It's double-sided. I'm not saying it's all fucking negative. I'm just saying that the unfortunate result of that is that we're losing a lot of the singular voice. Um, and you're seeing that in a lot of the bigger films. And uh, younger directors getting hired for these bigger films because they come with less of an ego. They come with less of a fan base. They're a lot easier to um, manipulate. They're a lot easier to get excited into it. They're cheaper to pay. Um, and I'm not bitching about that because it would be great. You know, if I did 12 cam the feature and it was fucking successful and I got offered to do fuck a Godzilla movie, I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, but from an audience perspective, you really start to miss that voice. Uh, I always come back to what happened uh, with Edgar Wright and Ant-Man and, you know, they replaced him. I forget the, see, that poor director that got replaced or replaced him with him. Uh, I don't even know his name, but that movie just didn't feel right. It felt like a committee created that film. Um, and then Edgar Wright went on to do uh, Baby Driver. And Baby Driver was just loaded with personality, loaded with perspective, loaded with voice. Um, and it's a better film because of that. So I, I don't know. You're, 
I guess it comes down to the fact that I'm a filmmaker and uh, being a filmmaker in the film business, you really hope that the filmmaker is still ha- like still has something to say and, and is telling us something. And it doesn't have to be a social fucking message. I'm kind of tired of social messaging at this point. It's kind of controversial to say that. Um, but it's it's just a story message, you know, something interesting that the filmmaker is fascinated by and they're going to examine and study and research and present what they've done. Or it could be a life experience that that filmmaker has been through and she needs to explain it to us or needs to walk us through the emotional roller coaster that she experienced. Or maybe it's just uh, creating something that is just fun and you're just obsessed with almost like creating a concert and you're just creating these visuals you're creating the sound and making something entertaining i don't judge one over the other the one thing that they all have in common to me is that they come from a singular voice uh that's what you're doing on this podcast you're you're tuning in to hear my opinions of something Uh, can you imagine if every time i went to say something there was a fucking panel of 12 people behind me and there was a lag on what was coming out of my mouth. And they were like, um, like, don't mention this and don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. And, oh, you know, we should inject this because we've done our studies and we, we, we believe that people that listen to podcasts like this more and this more and this more and this more. Uh, I'm, how this is relevant to the commercial stuff is when you're hired as a commercial director, you're generally taking stuff that comes from a committee and you're trying to add a little bit of your own voice into it, create a bit a sense of art, and really you're trying to figure out how you fit in creatively into that whole conversation. Uh, that's a fascinating thing about commercial directing. Uh, we'll get into that further in a minute. So I don't know, I've been ranting and raving, but I'm really excited. That being said, um, I was really excited about uh, the new series on Netflix called Love, Death, and Robots, that animated series that was produced by Fincher and Tim Miller. Tim Miller, if you don't know, Tim Miller is the guy that did Deadpool. Um, He's also going to be doing the new Terminator movie, which is interesting. Um, But before all that stuff, I think he is the founder of Blur Studios. And Blur Studios is this 3D animation studio that does amazing video game stuff. Uh, famously, they did the 3D animated opening sequence for the girl with the dragon tattoo. Um, really top of the line, best of the fucking best 3D animation stuff. Uh, and him and Fincher teamed up and produced a series of uh, shorts about robots, love and death. Um, it's really fucking great. Uh, and I had no idea. Like, it just showed up on my feed, and I clicked the first one, not really expecting much. Because most of the time, in my opinion, a lot of 3D animated movies, you know, like Final Fantasy. Remember when they did the first Final Fantasy? Like, it's kind of weak. Like, the story is, like, a little convoluted, and then everybody's sort of hyper-focused on whether or not the characters look real. Um, but when I watched the first one in this series... It was like, whoa, there's there's a completely dark tone. There's a very adult tone to it. Um, There's serious consequences to everybody's actions in these. And uh, I had no idea who made it. So I was sitting there and uh, someone walked through the room and they're like, what are you watching? I'm like, I don't know. It feels like a fucking Fincher, uh, David Fincher animated show. 
And then it was. I looked it up. I was like, oh, shit, it is. And that in itself is super cool. Because even though he didn't direct these pieces, I feel like him and Tim Miller created this environment in which people were allowed, the same kind of storytellers that they are, were allowed to start to talk about this stuff. And it's dangerous storytelling. Like, it's not... Um, it's not very topical. It's, there isn't a hell of a lot of social messaging in it. There's some, a lot of it is fun. I've seen a lot of um, reviews on the show and and people uh, saying that it's misogynistic, some of the episodes of that. Sure, there's, there's all those different elements to it. But the thing I like about the show is the fact that it's dangerous. It just feels dangerous. And their coverage, the way they shoot it is really cool or the way that they animate it to be shot is really cool. Um, it's an awesome fucking show. And I could talk all episode about it, uh, but I don't want to ruin it for you. Um, check it out. Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Really fucking rad. Really cool show. So, ah, uh, what are we at? 25 minutes? All right, let's take a break here really quick. I'll do some ad reads, um, and then uh, we'll get right back into commercials. So first up on the show, as a sponsor, always there, are my buddies at Puget Systems. If you're on the market for a new computer, if you're an editor, if you're a sound mixer, if you're a photographer, hell, if you're just looking for a new gaming PC, uh, check out PugetSystems.com. These guys build amazing PCs. And I know you're saying, well, I'm a Mac person, and Macs are better, Macs never crash, and Macs never do this, and Apple's the way to go. Uh, it's not that way anymore, guys. PCs are back. PCs are better. PCs are faster. It has been proven. PCs are cheaper. Definitely the way to go. And so, in my mind, as an editor, uh, buying a new system, I don't want to dump. I don't want to dump a ton of money into all of the unboxing experience. I don't want to dump a ton of money into equipment that I don't need, um, and or hardware that is barely doing the fucking job. Uh, I want my machine to keep up with me creatively. I want my machine to be fast. Upgradable is a big deal. Um, and uh, I want to be able to save some loot on the machine itself so that I can get other accessories. Um, so Puget Systems was the place that I went to. Um, I edit all of my stuff on a Puget Systems PC. Um, they're amazing. And uh, I would definitely go check it out. Their website's very easy to navigate. You can go over there and pick uh, what programs you use or you're going to use, and they will suggest a base package for that that can then be customized to your heart's content. And then I know that there's some of you out there that are like, well, why don't I just build a PC? It'd be cheaper for me to build one on my own. Sure, you can try that. But the big issue is when you're, when you're out there shopping for hardware and you're trying to put these hardware pieces together, you're basically reading reviews. And you're reading... reading uh, uh, reviews on uh, graphics cards and whatnot. And most of the time, those reviews are coming from a gaming perspective. Um, and I know for a fact with graphics cards, the newer version is not necessarily the best version. Uh, there are specific graphic cards that work for After Effects. There are specific graphic cards that work better for Premiere. Um, so these guys at Puget Systems 
will go through and do all sorts of benchmark tests uh, and they publish it. They put it out there. They let you know because they're supportive of people that are building PCs, even if they're doing it on their own. Um, but the thing I like about these guys is that they beta test everything and they communicate with Adobe. They communicate with uh, different software companies um, to try to figure out what is the best configuration. So they're a great resource if you're building your own machine. Um, but uh, if you're looking to just have a machine built for you, something that you can open up, set up out of the box and start editing, they're fucking fantastic for that. So go to PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show are my good buddies over at Rule Boston Camera. If you're a young filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a cinematographer, and you're finding it really difficult to keep up with technology, uh, there was this old school thought process that I need to buy the newest camera. I need to own an Alexa. I need to own a Red. And if I own this camera, then I'll get work. I'll get more jobs. How many of you guys have gone out there and put yourself in thousands and thousands of dollars of debt getting this equipment with the understanding that you'll be able to rent it out to pay it back? And how many times do your clients and your friends ask you to bring the gear for free? Happens all the time. I'm one of those guys that ask people to bring gear for free because I can't afford that gear. Um, so it's just a bad move. And as a, as a cinematographer, I just don't do it. In the past, as a cinematographer, I, don't, I just don't buy new camera gear. And a lot of times the clients are reading the same trades that you are. And those guys want uh, the newest, latest, greatest fucking Kodak because they think it's going to make their stuff amazing. Here's my suggestion. Go make a great relationship. Go establish a really good relationship with your local rental house. Uh, and if you're on the East Coast, Rule. Rule Boston Camera is the best. Um, they have everything in stock. They, they have all the newest pieces of equipment. Uh, they run training seminars. Um, they love working with independent filmmakers. Uh, so if you're scared about uh, setting up a relationship with a rental house, it's not as hard as you think. Uh, there are insurance waivers. It's very simple to do. Um, and all you have to do is just call those guys up and go, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting up a relationship. Um, what are the steps? And you'll see that you can have a piece of equipment really quickly from those guys. Um, and I love being able to rely on them when I'm shooting. Because how many times have you guys worked with equipment that just fails on you when you're on fucking set? <laughs> And if you're ordering from one of those uh, internet companies that ship shit, you're fucked. You know, if uh, the lav mic uh, like doesn't work, or if the lens gets frozen to the body, or if uh, you know the battery seem to be fucking failing on you too quickly, uh, with someone like Rule, if you're local to the area, they'll fucking send out someone with replacements to the set. So imagine how happy your clients will be if all you have to do is make a phone call. Um, and half the time when I have issues, I make a phone call and they talk me through it and I figure it out. So really cool guys. I can't talk about them enough, uh, but I, I want to keep these ads a little bit shorter than usual. <laughs> so definitely go to rule.com, Rule Boston Camera. Um, check them out. And if you're not on the East Coast, go make friends with the dudes at your local rental houses. All right. So, let's get back to the show.
So I uh, actually it's pretty late in the game. I said that I, I was going to have this show be about uh, commercial directing, and what are we at right now? Thirty-one minutes in. Whew. This is what happens when I'm on my own. I do a bunch of rambling. I hope you guys are finding it all interesting. Uh, so let's talk about commercials. So generally for me as a director, there are three different types of commercials that I work on, right? Uh, there is, if you're lucky, and like this week I was, you're doing a broadcast spot. So this generally is a commercial that is getting broadcast on TV. It has a media buy. Um, and uh, usually these have larger production budgets um, oftentimes these end up becoming uh, union productions. So you're dealing with uh, more experienced crews, um, a lot more logistical sort of managerial stuff is needed if you're a producer doing this. Um, so that is broadcast. And then I'll be hired to do uh, web stuff. And somehow there's a fucking loophole with the web shit where it doesn't always have to be union, uh, even though ads on the internet are actually reaching twice the amount of people with the demographic. It's all ass backwards. Um, but the budgets for those are usually smaller. Um, and you're just sort of dealing with a more compressed crew, uh, more compressed timeline. And then there's also spec ads, spec commercials. Um, and uh, I know you guys have heard me talk about spec before. If you're new to the business, you don't know. Spec ads are, are usually... Uh, commercials that you will finance, you will create, uh, you'll put them together for, uh, you'll donate a lot of your time just to prove that you have the skills. Uh, it's a good way to showcase your talent, to build your reel, as they say. Um, and with clients, the difficult thing is that uh, they need to see shit to buy shit. So, even though I do a movie about a Russian drill team in the 1980s and I made 1980s Russia in a small town outside of Boston, I will still not get a job uh, photographing red sneakers because I don't have red sneakers on my reel. <laughs> it's infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. Um, and so the way to sort of be clever about that is, for me, what I do is at the beginning of the year, I try to do spec Excuse me. Oh my God, I burped. Yeah. In the beginning of the year, I like to try to do spec ads. A couple of new concept treatment pieces that uh, I try to tailor towards specific markets that I would like to get hired as a, as a director for commercials in. Okay. So um, the new uh, Dale Strong or the Dale Strong piece uh, is considered a spec ad. Even, even though they he financed the production of these, um, which is fucking great. Um, it's still not the, the it's not it's not the right amount of money for what we're doing. We're giving them a lot of extras uh, just because um, I have such a great idea with it, and there's a lot of really fun things that we're going to be able to do. Uh, and it's the right time of year. I usually do it at the beginning of the year in, in January because most of the crew is in downtime. It's tax season. It's post holidays. Uh, a lot of the clients are still trying to get their act together. And so the crew's kind of chilling and they're usually a little restless. Uh, so that's a good time to go to them and be like, hey, let's let's build some spec shit. And uh, uh, one of the cool things about spec ads, I mean, the negative is you're usually not making any money. Um, whatever money that I make on this ad or these ads, I usually dump back into the spot to 
try to make the ad feel like a million bucks. Uh, I'm not going to say what the budget of this ad is. It's probably a million bucks. Yeah, it looks like it's a million bucks, right? Yeah, I don't want to cheapen the ad. Um, but uh, because there is, uh, you're not getting paid a bunch of loot, uh, you can often uh, get more creative freedom uh, in these. And a uh, really cool agreement that I have with David over there is that uh, he lets me come up with the ideas, uh, which is fun. Um, and for this piece that we just did, um, uh, some people settle. Uh, it was a long process to come up with this idea because I really wanted to come up with a cool concept. And him and I were going back and forth for about three, four months on different ideas, different demographics, who are the people that he sells to, and then how can I tell a great story that will appeal to those guys, but also uh, capture the interest of some rando that's just surfing the internet. Um, and then how can I also be creating content that speaks to other demographics in the commercial world, so that way uh, if someone's looking for a car ad or someone's looking for uh, like a sports sort of anthem commercial or someone's looking for a piece with food, uh, this ad kind of covers all of it. Um, it's not specific, and sometimes that will keep me from getting the job. It's not specific to those things, but at least it's, it's enough to get me in the room to try to plead my case. Um, and that's what we did with the spec piece. And uh, because uh, we were doing such fun things with it, and we're playing with really cool pieces of equipment and new techniques, uh, it's a lot easier to convince uh, talented folks like David Cruda, uh, Ruben Alves was on it, um, who's on our lighting uh, podcast, Gaffer Ruben, awesome dude, uh, and Anthony Jarvis. I convinced him to come on to work with us as well. Um, very small, tight-knit crew uh, following around uh, Phil Cruda, uh, the chef, as he makes food in his restaurant. We did this really cool on-day stage work uh, over at Red Sky Studios, and um, that stuff is gorgeous, like black space. I, I actually got my brother to come down, and uh, we built this black table surface with uh, glass on it. Fuck, man. Glass is so expensive. I had to buy a huge piece, untempered glass, because I didn't have enough time to get it tempered. Uh, and that piece cost me like fucking $600. Really expensive, really expensive. And I had no idea the glass was that expensive. Um, but it was a lot of fun. We actually brought all these elements together, and we did like three days of filming. And right off the bat, being a spec ad, because everybody's excited and everybody knows it's going to help them get work, they're donating their time. Uh, this client would never have been able to afford three days of filming. Uh, I mean, fuck. I just did Sam Adams, and that was one day of filming. You know what I mean? So uh, spec stuff uh, allows you... The client loves it because they get a lot of really great stuff with it, but you can't just give this stuff away for free. Uh, you have to be smart about pricing things out and making sure that they're covering costs um, and then really making sure that your payment on this is future work. Uh, and pick the right clients to do spec work for. Um, I like to pick smaller companies, companies that would never really get the opportunity uh, to get stuff at this level um, because they don't have a big marketing budget, period. And those guys, I don't mind doing spec stuff for. I would never do spec work for a company like fucking Nike or any of those guys because they have the advertising money. They have that shit. 
And I think a lot of folks in our business make the mistake of doing spec work for companies like that. And if they can, if they sniff out the fact that they can get shit for free, they will start preying on filmmakers, preying on their insecurities, and preying on their desperations, and lowering their budgets. And if that's the case, if you're giving shit to larger companies for free, then what are you working towards? If those guys decide that they don't have to pay for shit, then our jobs go away. Does that make sense? And it isn't just a job thing. Then you start to battle like, well, how the fuck do I pay for this treatment? How the fuck do I pay for this idea? Like, how do I get all the resources that I need to pull this idea off? It just gets really dangerous. So if you are doing spec stuff, I advise you either do spec stuff for a company that you know doesn't have the budget for that, would never have the budget for that. That's cool. And if you're friends with them and they're going to give you creative freedom and you're going to do something that's going to lead to more work, do it. If not, then just do a spec piece on your fucking own. Don't do it for a company. Create a false fucking company and do your spec piece for that. Do not give it away to the big guys for free. Okay? So spec stuff. Little tip. Um, so then we talk about the difference between commercial and web. Um, and these days, it's such a subtle difference. Uh, web stuff, they tend to throw in a lot of other wants, you know. So they're usually talking about cutting, getting cutdowns for Instagram, getting cuts down, cutdowns for Facebook. Then you start dealing with different formats. You start dealing with the fact that you need to make sure it looks good in a one-by-one ratio. Because uh, if you look at Instagram, it's square ratio. Um, but everybody's TVs are 16 by 9. Um, and so then you're trying to frame the main action or the main uh, object in those shots so that it works for both, which becomes a, a thing. Um, and uh, the, the other issue that you deal with with the internet stuff is that for broadcast, they buy certain time lengths and it has to be down to the frame. So it's like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 second spots, and it's down to the number. When you're doing internet advertising, it's all over the fucking place. Like sometimes they want a long ass two minute, three minute, four minute clip on something. On sometimes they want uh, 15 seconds and a bunch of like 10 second clips. Uh, it's all over the fucking place. And when you're doing internet stuff, what I try to do initially is just figure out exactly what they want and exactly what they need and create that stuff around that exactly uh, because otherwise you're, you're all over the place. Um, and it's so funny that the budgets are less on that stuff but they want so much more. Um, they usually are trying to cram in like photography at the same time. It's an interesting situation. And because the budgets are scaled down, uh, you're usually, you usually cannot afford uh, union stuff. You really can't afford union crew. And uh, I know some of you are out there like, well, union's just really expensive. Why would I do that? Well, honestly, if you're a technician in this business and you've been at it for over 10 years and you're, it, it's a career path for you at this point and you're raising kids and you need a house and you need to be protected, you join the fucking union. You just do. Uh, the rates for union workers aren't that much more. Hell, I pay union rates to people that work for me that aren't union. So it isn't that much more. And sure, you got to pay fringes and you got to pay into all that stuff. Um, 
but it's, you know, it's still fine. And the thing that I like about the union stuff is that I'm generally getting the best of the best, right? And that's really helpful for grip. That's really helpful for camera department. You're getting people that have worked with all the big gear, you know, and they know how to use it and they're really efficient with it. Um, but that being said, I can still work really well non-union, but at that point you just, you have to work a lot harder to build your crew. You have to work a lot harder to build your team of professionals around you. It's a longer vetting process um, of finding folks that haven't got to the union level yet or have decided not to go union. Uh, you sort of figure out why, and then um, uh, you sort of build a team around that. Um, I love that team. I have a team of non-union guys that I've been using for years, um, and I think they're fucking insanely talented, incredible people to work with, and I'm happy they exist. Um, but it's just different vibes. It really is. And I think as a director, that comes down to two different ways of directing which is interesting. And I, I was realizing this yesterday when I was on the union shoot. If I'm, if I'm doing something like Dale Strong and it's my buds, it's my friends, and we're all coming together and I'm trying to get these guys to work longer and I'm trying to push these guys to do the best they possibly can, um, it becomes a lot more interactive and cheerleading. Uh, I'm in the trenches with them. I'm usually picking things up. I'm a part of all that. Uh, and it becomes this team thing. There's usually a lot of going out, a lot of beers, a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, and you're rallying around this. It's very similar to film and cinema. I feel like the crews become that. Um, but yesterday working on a union team with some folks that I fucking love and I haven't seen in years, it's a different vibe. Uh, the union becomes more about micro micromanaging kind of different positions. I don't know if that's the right word. They break down um, certain uh, techniques into various positions. So you'll have like three people doing what you would be cramming on your poor friend on a non-union shoot. You'll have like two or three people in the camera department. Now how that's beneficial is that everybody has their own very specific task and the theory is that they're the best at that task. You know, I watched, it was fascinating to watch um, the grip team interact with the camera team. And we had a Fisher dolly with a slider on top of it. Um, and these things are fucking heavy and they have a lot of weird little pieces. They have a lot of little details on how to specifically use it. Um, and like PJ, who was on yesterday, my old buddy PJ, who was actually on Meshuggah years ago, uh, he was on as my dolly grip, and I was just watching him fluidly, without even looking at it, knowing exactly where all of the little screws are to take the slider off the top of the dolly and move it and shift it. And he's just having a conversation as he does it, and then he's just putting it in this position. And I'm watching him just seamlessly do this. And he's rested in this position. And then instantly, the assistant camera comes over and sticks the tripod head on. Because that's their department, is dealing with the physical tripod head. So they go over and they place it onto the dolly. And then they start to tighten it. And then he takes it from there and makes sure it's locked down and makes sure it's balanced. And then the two of them balance the thing out. And then the other camera assistant comes over and places the camera on top. 
they just had this down to such a quiet little science that it, it just, it happened a lot faster. And if you're doing this on uh, your own production and you're dealing with equipment at that level that comes with all these like little intricacies and little details, you end up finding yourself going, okay, how does this screw off and where is this going? Blah, 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 blah. And, and you're trying to figure these things out with equipment um, and it slows you down. Uh, and, and half the time you're like asking somebody else who's in charge of lighting to come over and help you with something. Uh, it was just really cool to watch the uh, Union Crew machine at work. Um, but that being said, uh, you also have to motivate a Union Crew differently. Uh, and for that, it's it's this weird game. For me, it's like this weird game of coming in and just making sure that they understand that your voice, you are the captain. And you have to come in there and, and not... It's being assertive without being an asshole. You know what I mean? You come in, you make sure you introduce yourself to everybody on your team, make sure you meet everybody, even the people that you've never worked with before. I don't care if it's a fucking PA or craft services. You go around and you say hello to everybody. Make sure that they all know you as the director instantly. Um, and then on a lot of times with the commercials, the turnaround time is so quick. Everything's so fast. You get the approval, they send you the boards, you try to figure it out, you have a loose idea, you put it down on paper, and then before you know it, like this week, you know, props are calling us up going, we need two days to buy. So what are the props? And what, you know, camera department's like, what camera do we need? What, what lenses do we need? What's the look? Uh, from the day I got the gig, I, I think I had, I don't know, eight hours to figure all that out to figure out what the shots are, to do a shot list, to do storyboards, to figure out what the outfits are, to figure out what the backgrounds were going to be, to get all these approved, to wait for approvals from the client um, while trying to feed as much information that you have through the producer down to um, the departments. And then, you know, what these people can pull together. I mean, this is the benefit of the union stuff what these people can pull together out of their own kits, what these people can pull together uh, with understanding where the best places to shop for props are uh, is amazing. Especially like last minute calls where it's like, wait, we need you to create these graphics. Uh, poor, <laughs> the poor production team had to do graphics all fucking night the night before the shoot, you know? So um, it's interesting. And so then when you show up that day as a director and, I'm not really a younger director at this point, but a lot of these folks in the union have been around for a lot longer than I have. So you have to sort of go in there and make sure that you're proving to them that you know the answers to a lot of the questions that these folks have. Uh, because if you're a wishy-washy director and you go in um, and you don't know and you lack confidence, then you start to lose the crew. And everybody's there to complete the fucking day. And if you start to lose the crew, then the crew start to make decisions for you in order to get their job done. Um, and then you're sort of battling that. And oftentimes, if you're letting the crew make those decisions without your input and you don't like those things, then they'll just sort of go, well, we don't have the time and these are the options and that's what you got. Um, so you really got to get in there early. You really do. You have to get in there early and make sure that your vision is being conveyed now this isn't manipulation and this isn't control this is communication and this is collaboration this is what the the, the game is 
Uh, you got to go in there. You got to introduce yourself. You have to be uh, empathetic. You have to have the ability to convey whatever this vision in your brain is out of that fucking dumb mouth that I have uh, and into the brain of somebody else. And hopefully it's about 50 to 60% there because <laughs> it's really hard to do. And the thing about commercials and music videos is that it's a tight fucking schedule and you're making like insanely important decisions under the gun. You know, I, I was joking. At one point I was making decisions on backgrounds and I'm like, I feel like someone's got a gun on my family and I need to make these decisions quickly. Knowing that the aftermath of that hour long thing was going to affect how the whole thing is going to be shot. Um, so there's a lot of high stress in that. And so if you're uh, a creative that just hires people, like if you're uh, an agency person listening to the show, understand that part of the reason why these people are so expensive is most of it is dealing with the stress that comes with the show and trying to make these decisions and trying to think about all of the things that you aren't thinking about to prepare us um, for that, uh, the, the inevitable moment where people go this is what i thought it was going to be and you're like yeah i thought you were going to get there so i have five or six different options for you you know um but it's fun dude like the whole process is a lot of fucking fun i had a blast yesterday uh doing this and it's, i've been directing long enough that i don't get i try not to be too affected by the stress i try to let the stress sort of invigor um uh, the way I act on set and uh, sort of really invigor the creativity because um, I like working within confines. I, I like finding the art within the box that is handed to us. Uh, so it's a lot of fucking fun to do. Um, so yeah, like I said, you need to make sure that your vision comes across and then it's really about being a social bug. Like you really have to be someone that, understands uh, what the crew's dilemmas are. You sort of look at what they're doing, understands that uh, some of these people are artists and uh, artists need the opportunity to showcase their art. And um, a great example of this was uh, my food stylist, Monica. Uh, first time that we've worked together, she's fantastic. Um, and she's done a lot of prints and I think she's done some video stuff. And I, this was a, a larger job as far as the crew was concerned. And she had never worked with a lot of the people on the crew. Um, and it, food styling is a, is a, is an art. It's a fucking craft. And it, it comes down to like what angle the lime is turned, like how big the piles of sa of, uh, of seeds are, you know, what the color plate is compared to the color of the leaves on the lemons, like all those things. It's very fucking detail oriented. And I know it seems like a simple fucking task. Believe me, as someone that has shot food before, I fucking hate placing food myself uh, because you can get lost in it. Um, and it's it, there's an art to it. There's an art to plating, uh, which is that whole thing I do with Polly. Like, you just got the brain for it. It's like painting almost. And you know how to place those shapes. You know how to stack these things. You know how to pile these things up. Uh, and not to mention, you start to understand all of the tricks that we use in the business, uh, how to make a sweaty bottle of beer, <laughs> you know, like when you pull the beer out of the cooler and it's sweaty and it's like, uh, all like, uh, glazed up, 
Um, we were doing that with like uh, different types of glycerin and uh, like anti-shine sprays and shit like that. Like it's completely fake, um, but it looks fucking fantastic on, on screen. And uh, if you don't know this stuff, if you don't have like a real food stylist, uh, you would just assume that you splash with fucking water. But the problem is that that evaporates, ice melts, all that stuff. So when you put it in front of lights and you're trying to tweak the shot, you're trying to tweak the way the highlights are and the ice is fucking melting on you, you want to put a bullet in your face. Um, so knowing all this stuff, I was working with fantastic food stylist and uh, you're sort of, whenever you work on a film set, everybody's doing their task and they're trying to get their job done on time to get the shot done. Uh, and all that stuff is usually controlled and uh, wrangled by the assistant director. And I had a great assistant director yesterday um, and she was trying to wrangle all these folks. And everybody is so hyper-focused on what their specific task is, whether it's putting in the diopter and the lens to get close enough so that we can see the shot uh, to frame the shot up, or it's uh, turning the lights on so that I can see the set to frame the shot up, or it's, uh, you know, placing the table and all these things. So everybody knows that the first thing we got to do is start to build a frame and they all come in together. And it's the job of the assistant director uh, to just sort of manage who comes through the fucking door first and get the the order of operation. Like you do this, you do this, you do this. And so you're trying to take all these very driven individuals and line them up and go, okay, boom, 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 boom. This is the, the most efficient way for us to start to lay down these layers that we need to get the shot. Um, and I remember there was this moment uh, where Monica, I, I felt like she just got, it was like a, a tornado of people around here trying to do all this stuff. And she was sort of in the middle. And I knew that we were all relying on her to set this stuff up. And uh, as a director, you've got to, you got to see how people are responding to each other. And you have to notice when someone is in trouble, when someone needs your voice. Um, and there was a moment on the shoot where I knew that she needed me to support her. Uh, and I just told everybody, look, let's set up the frame and let her come in and show us what she has. And there's a lot of details coming from clients, people like, well, you know, if we stack up double lemons, and my whole thing is this, if you're talented, if I hire you because you're talented, I'm going to let you show us something first. Whether you're an actor, whether you're a food stylist, whether you're a cinematographer, I'm not gonna fucking micromanage you out of the gate. That's the wrong thing to do. It slows everything down. So what I tried to do with her was like, clear the room, make sure that all the crew knew that I respected her, knew that I thought her work is amazing, and let her show us. And she did. It was really cool to watch. Uh, and I remember going back and sitting with the with the clients at the client monitor, which is a whole other fucking, I hate client monitors. But we go and sit at the client monitor, and I'm sitting with them far enough away so she can't hear, and they're watching her build it. And in the beginning of it, they start to to nitpick, which you would, because you're staring at a client monitor and you feel like you need to make yourself useful, right? So it's like, oh, is she really going to put the lime there? Is she really going to put the lemon here? And I, I said to them, like, just watch. Watch an artist figure it out. And that's what it is. You can see her brain work. And she starts to talk to herself. 
as she places the things and she's like, this would be nice here. And if I turn the lime, and what if we contrast it with a little bit of this? And then you see her get excited, which is really cool. And you watch her just finding it. Oh, and this is really great. I love this. And this is really cool. And she starts to build it. And then you get excited because you're feeling the excitement that she's putting on that table. And she's laying it out. And then she presents it. And and she just steps back. And she's proud of what she's presented at this point. Now, granted, most of the crew has to watch this because in order for them to do their next task, they have to see what they're going to shoot, you know? And she does it. And she's so beautifully, con- like very confident about it. She's beautifully confident about it. Lays out the whole table. And then she looks at you as a director, looks at me. What do you think? That's my favorite moment. Honestly. That's my favorite moment as a director on set. When you have an incredibly talented person. And they present to you. They make you something. And they present it to you. Knowing what your vision is. Knowing what you hope to accomplish. And if you're a good director, if you're someone that allows them to surprise you, that moment of, what do you think, is the fucking best. (laughs) It really is. Because I looked at it and went, holy shit, this is fantastic. This is why you're here. This is what you're doing. Now, Maybe you move this little lime here. Maybe this little contrast issues here and here and here. And, she, and it's like, oh, right, 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 right. She goes through and tweaks it. And then we like it. Then we go back to the clients. And then you talk to the clients. Now, some of you may think like, well, it's us versus the clients. That's wrong. When you're doing a commercial, that's totally fucking wrong. The clients know more than you do. And they don't know more than you do as a storyteller. That's why they're hiring you. It's the storyteller aspect. They know more about what they need than you do. They've done statistics. They've, they've looked into it. They understand when a logo needs to be on screen. They understand how people respond to their stuff. They've made other ads and got the feedback on other ads. So they know more than you do. And you got to remember that when you're doing something for a client, they know more about their product than you do. So when you go back and they ask for more yellow or they ask for something specific, I listened to them because at that point, even though it may not be right color composition wise as a photograph, it's right for the commercial. Because at the end of the day, you're selling shit. That's what you're doing. You're selling stuff. So you you have to make sure that you're you're building these things the right way. That's a a really big thing that a lot of young directors and even older directors forget about. For them, they get hired and they're like, this is an opportunity for me to make something. And it's like, well, yeah, it is. But you're also selling something. That's what the fucking commercial is. No one shows up with like a hundred grand and hands it to you and says, make me something. They show up with a hundred grand expecting to make millions off of this fucking spot. So you gotta be smart about it, man. Totally gotta be smart about it. Um, but it's fun. If you, if you understand all these things and you, and you embrace this and you embrace this environment uh, on a commercial set, it's a lot of fucking fun. Uh, and for me, I enjoy uh, interacting with the clients. I enjoy surprising the clients. You know, I like to cook for people, you know? So I like to go 
to the set, work with his team, have the team present things to me, and then proudly walk to the clients and go, what do you think? Because then I get to go, what do you think? Because I've got all the what do you thinks from my guys and girls, and I go to them and go, what do you think? And everybody holds their breath, and the clients look at it and go, we love it. Or can we change this? Or this isn't exactly what we were thinking. And that's the game. That's commercial directing. That's what the craft is of, of being a commercial director. It isn't necessarily uh, being great at shooting product, or it isn't necessarily being great at uh, blocking scenes. Like all that stuff is your trade. That's your craft. Those are the elements that you're bringing to the job. Uh, but my experience, commercial directing is about relationships. It's about communicating. It's about dealing with people, getting people on the same page on a very short schedule. Um, and that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? That's why you get paid good money. And uh, if you're doing spec stuff, if you're doing spec stuff on your own and you're just designing these things and putting them together by yourself to do commercials, understand that you're very much limiting your experience because when you do a real job, it's almost never you just doing it. Uh, at that scale, it's about how do you work with a crew? How do you work with outside people flipping your ideas around at the last minute? How do you pivot? All those things are important. Um, and uh, that would be my insight into commercials. I think, let me go through my little list here because I go off on these fucking tangents. I just want to make sure I didn't leave anything out or I didn't forget to wrap something up. Um, no, it's pretty much it. Uh, if you guys have any questions about it, if you're uh, just getting in the business, if you're trying to figure out how to, to do ads, if you're trying to figure out how to be a director, um, I've got a little bit of experience at it, so um, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. Uh, definitely reach out to me on uh, In Love With The Process POD on Instagram. That's a good spot to do that. Um, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but lately I've been doing this thing where I'm giving away inspiration kits. Um, a lot of folks have been asking me about how do I stay inspired? How do I stay motivated in this business? Um, and for me, I have all sorts of different techniques. Comic books is a big part of it. Um, and uh, I've got this huge collection of comic books, too many comic books, and I'm trying to find a good home for them. I don't want to throw them out. It's heartbreaking to me to do that. Um, so what I'm doing is uh, for some really great issues, I'm going through and doing little post-it notes in them, uh, talking about why I love the books, um, what inspires me about these books. Uh, and I'm putting together these little kits with prints and all that kind of stuff uh, and offering them up to you guys uh, as inspiration kits, little things that hopefully get your brain working. Um, and the best way to find that stuff is through my Instagram accounts. So at Mike Petchy at Instagram or in love with the process POD, I'll be putting them up frequently. I usually do a story or a live feed about it. And then, um, I will, uh, ask you guys what you think they're worth and, uh, whoever offers me a decent amount of cash or, uh, offers me a good reason to get it. Uh, the kit goes to you. Uh, we just did it recently very successful gave away a bunch of cool books um and i'll be doing a lot more of that in the next couple of months because i have to get rid of a lot of these books uh so like i said instagram best place to talk um let's see what else hopefully these ads will be out soon uh 
keep up with me. The Dale Strong stuff should be coming out very shortly. Um, and then uh, I don't know what's up with the Sam Adams stuff. It's out of my hands. That's one of the things with the bigger ads is that uh, oftentimes I'm not even involved with the edit, um, which is a whole other conversation about making sure that you're getting enough footage and enough options for that edit because uh, you don't want the clients to be in the room going, what the fuck was this guy doing? You know what I mean? And that, that happens a lot on these uh, jobs. So anyway, um, that's enough ranting. We're about an hour into it. Yeah, we'll keep it short for this episode. I hope you found some of that stuff interesting. Um, and uh, we'll have more episodes coming with guests. Got a bunch of stuff lined up. And I uh, hope you guys are as excited about movies as I am. I think I'm going to go see that new uh, Jordan Peele movie, the This Is Us, or Us. Uh, this weekend, I'm fucking pumped about that one. And um, yeah, so that's what's going on. Thanks for listening to me, guys. And uh, I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.